An Overview of Dupuytren's Disease for Perioperative Nurses by Mary C. Russell Abstract Dupuytren's disease is a fibroproliferative condition that causes shortening, thickening, and fibrosis of the palmar fascia and deflection deformity of the metacarpophalangeal and proximal interphalangeal joints. Although the etiology is unknown, a variety of risk factors, such as age greater than 50 years, male sex, family history, or tobacco and alcohol use, may lead to disease development. At the present time, there is no cure and symptoms may recur. However, surgical procedures, for example, limited fasciectomy, and non-surgical treatment, for example, needle aponeurotomy, injection of collagenase clostridium histolyticum, can help patients manage the disease's symptoms. Patients may experience wound healing complications after fasciectomy and skin fissures after needle aponeurotomy. Recurrence rates for needle aponeurotomy and collagenase clostridium histolyticum injection are similar. Perioperative nurses should provide individualized patient care during procedures, participate in effective team communication regarding patient needs, and provide patient education throughout the perioperative continuum. Dupuytren's disease is a fibroproliferative condition that causes shortening, thickening, and fibrosis of the palmar fascia and produces a flexion deformity of at least one hand digit. See figure 1. The disease most commonly affects the ring and little fingers. However, it may affect the remaining digits, in which case it involves the thumb or long finger more frequently than the index finger. Dupuytren's disease involves the metacarpophalangeal and proximal interphalangeal joints, progresses slowly, and can be both disabling and embarrassing for patients. This article describes the history of Dupuytren's disease, the management and treatment of symptoms and related complications, and perioperative nursing considerations. Although Dupuytren's disease is treatable, there currently is no cure. As such, the disease may recur. Dupuytren's Disease Overview Tradition links Dupuytren's disease to the Vikings and their exploration, trading, and colonization conquests in England and Northern Europe as early as the mid-9th century. The Vikings colonized areas bordering the North Sea, for example, England, Scotland, France, Belgium, and traveled from Newfoundland to the Caspian Sea. The disease may affect descendants of Northern European ancestry more than other groups. However, results of a 2020 study that included a genetic risk score showed no genetic evidence of a Viking origin for the disease. Results of a literature review of 85 studies on the condition show a current worldwide prevalence rate of 8.2%, 95% confidence interval, CI, equals 5.7 to 11.7, with the highest prevalence in Africa at 17.2%, 95% CI equals 13 to 22.3. In 1831, Baron Guillaume Dupuytren was the first person to formally present a lecture to the medical community on permanent contractions of the flexed fingers and publish his findings. The disease now bears his name. Since that time, many physicians and surgeons have attempted to treat Dupuytren's disease, 
but none have been fully successful at eradicating it. Dupuytren's disease is a benign, that is, non-cancerous, condition, but it can cause hand-crippling effects and dysfunction. Although physicians do not know the exact etiology of Dupuytren's disease, some factors may increase an individual's risk for development, including age greater than 50 years, male sex, Northern European ancestry, family history of the disease, tobacco and alcohol use, and diabetes. Researchers recognize an association between Dupuytren's disease and Peyronie's disease, a condition characterized by fibrous tissue plaques inside the penis that cause curved and painful erections. In a study of Caucasian male patients with a Peyronie's disease diagnosis, 89, 21.4%, of the 415 patients also had a Dupuytren's disease diagnosis. Results of a 2011 meta-analysis showed an association between working in professions that involve manual labor with long-term hand exposure to repetitive forces and vibration, for example, construction, and developing Dupuytren's disease. The association may be related to increased mechanical tension in the surrounding tissue of the palm and stimulation of the myoblasts. Some patients may have a predisposition to an aggressive form of Dupuytren's disease, known as Dupuytren's diathesis. These patients may experience earlier onset, for example, before the age of 50, bilateral involvement, recurrence, and ectopic lesions in the knuckles. In 2012, researchers conducted a genome-wide study and identified nine single nucleotide polymorphisms as genetic risks for the development of Dupuytren's disease. Results of the study showed that patients with Dupuytren's disease onset before the age of 50, a positive family history of the disease, knuckle pads, that is, tissue thickening over a finger joint, or letter hose disease, that is, plantar fibromatosis of the soles of the feet, were at high genetic risk for developing Dupuytren's diathesis. Healthcare personnel may confuse Dupuytren's disease with trigger finger, an idiopathic stenosing flexor tenosynovitis of a hand digit. Trigger finger symptoms usually occur after the patient awakens from sleep and include locking of a digit into the palm, clicking when bending the finger joints, and pain. Trigger finger involves inflammation of the flexor tendon sheath and the inability to flex or extend the digit smoothly. However, Patients are able to extend the digit, though this may cause significant pain. In contrast, Dupuytren's disease is a fibroproliferative disease of the palmar fascia that can produce a slow-progressing flexion deformity that prevents the patient from extending the digit. See Figure 2. Pathophysiology The pathology of Dupuytren's disease is similar to the wound healing process. However, the abnormal growth of myofibroblasts and extracellular matrix material forms deposits that create layers on the palmar fascia. Growth of these layers replaces healthy fascia, creating cord-like structures that begin incorporating the skin. The palmar fascia is similar to plantar fascia and acts as an anchoring system for the underlying bone. The changes that occur in the skin are the result of changes in the anchoring system the unhealthy fascia then becomes a tendon-like cord, causing contractures of the metacarpal and phalangeal joints 
and holding them in a flexed state. Dupuytren's disease progression is slow, and some patients may experience stabilization without progression or regression. Researchers have not yet discovered the cause of myofibroblast proliferation or the mechanism for disease progression from a nodule to a collagenous disease cord. Additional research is needed. Management After the initial identification of Dupuytren's disease, physicians suggested a variety of non-surgical treatment options. For example, vitamin E, radiotherapy, steroid injections, and surgical treatment options. For example, fasciectomy, fasciotomy, dermofasciectomy. Historically, physicians viewed non-surgical options as inferior to surgical treatment. A review of 218 studies showed recurrence rates ranging from 12 to 73% for fasciectomy, including aponeurectomy, and from 33 to 100% for fasciotomy or aponeurotomy. Open Surgical Treatment In 1952, E. Hamlin, Jr., M.D., performed a total or radical fasciectomy to treat the disease, but found that the postoperative immobilization resulted in prolonged disability. Seven years later, J. Vernon Luck, M.D., based surgical treatment on the extent of involvement of the pathological process. When the disease process affected the palm, he performed a subcutaneous fasciotomy. However, when it affected the fingers, he used direct vision to section the cords or excise a segment. In 1964, Charles R. McCash, Master of Surgery, believed the best practice was to perform a fasciectomy and leave the wound open to heal via secondary intention. He placed a polyvinyl sponge secured with a tool grod dressing, that is, gauze cloth impregnated with paraffin, over the wound, and then placed a firm pressure hand dressing and plaster volar splint on the palm to remain for a week. Although this wound healing method allowed the patient movement after removal of the splint, critics noted that there may have been an increased chance of infection and scarring. Three years later, Julian M. Bruner, M.D., published information on use of a zigzag volar digital incision in flexor tendon procedures. Surgeons use a variety of surgical techniques to treat Dupuytren's disease. However, there has been a lack of research evaluating effectiveness of the techniques. In addition, available study findings lack consistent outcome measures related to patient improvement and do not include consistent variables and patient demographics. When Dupuytren's disease has progressed to a point at which the patient is experiencing 30 degrees of contracture at the metacarpal joint and any degree of contracture at the proximal interphalangeal joint, the surgeon determines the appropriate surgical procedure that will provide the best outcome for the patient. There are a variety of surgical interventions that surgeons can perform to correct Dupuytren's disease, and limited, or palmar, fasciectomy, is the treatment of choice for the primary release of a contracture. This procedure involves removing the macroscopically diseased fascia from the finger and palm. Figure 3 shows limited fasciectomy incisions two weeks after surgery. Limited fasciectomy can involve a temporary joint fusion to help achieve the straightening of the involved fingers. The anesthetic type for a limited fasciectomy, 
ranges from local anesthesia with epinephrine, that is, no tourniquet, to general anesthesia. Any underlying health conditions can influence the anesthesia professional's choice. Additional surgical options that may result in increased patient morbidity include total fasciectomy, in which the surgeon removes all fascia in the digit and palm, and dermofasciectomy, in which the surgeon removes diseased fascia and the overlying skin. After excising the diseased tissue, the surgeon either places a skin graft or allows the wound to heal via secondary intention. Partial and total fasciectomy procedures affect internal structures, illustrated in Figure 4. Minimally Invasive Treatment Needle aponeurotomy, percutaneous needle fasciotomy, is a minimally invasive technique surgeons perform in an outpatient setting. For example, clinic OR, with a local anesthetic to correct flexion contractures. The percutaneous procedure does not require sutures and can be a good choice when patients are not healthy enough to undergo general anesthesia. After the procedure, patients can use their hands and return to work earlier than with an open procedure. Needle aponeurotomy has very low complication rates. Recurrence rates vary depending on reporting methods. Findings of a 2017 study on patient outcomes after needle aponeurotomy showed an overall recurrence rate of 5.8% for the 68 patients in the study. Potential Complications of Treatment Options Treatment of Dupuytren's disease can result in wound healing complications and pain after fasciectomy, and skin fissures, that is tears, and pain after needle aponeurotomy. Cold intolerance and sensory abnormalities may occur after either procedure. Wound healing complications may require skin flaps or tension-free closures after fasciectomy. During needle aponeurotomy, sensory abnormalities can occur because of digital nerve or tendon injury. Fasciectomy has a high complication rate. When there is recurrence, patients are more likely to repeat needle aponeurotomy than the limited fasciectomy. There are two types of digital nerve injuries that may occur after limited fasciectomy and needle aponeurotomy. A direct injury from a laceration and a traction injury from the nerve remaining tethered as the surgeon corrects the joint contracture. A neuropraxic, for example, loss of function, injury can be self-limiting, and the patient may recover sensation if the etiology of the injury is related to traction. However, if there is a complete or partial nerve injury from a laceration, the surgeon may need to explore the area and perform a primary nerve repair. Patients generally respond favorably to digital nerve repair procedures. Arterial injury can occur during fasciectomy, but it is a very rare complication of needle aponeurotomy. Surgeons should carefully evaluate the cords when completing dissection to avoid arterial injury during open procedures. Vasospasm can occur after fasciectomies and cause digital ischemia. Skin fissures after needle aponeurotomy generally heal with local wound care and do not require surgery. Hematomas can compromise the vascular system in the digit, tissue flaps, or grafts, and surgeons should drain them promptly. When vascular status is not affected, the vascular system will absorb the hematoma without incident. Infections are rare in both procedures. If they do occur, 
surgeons can treat them with antibiotics. Complex regional pain syndrome may occur after fasciectomy and needle aponeurotomy and may require early referral to a pain specialist. Healthcare personnel should prevent complications from occurring when possible. Advances in Management of Dupuytren's Disease Although open surgical and minimally invasive procedures remain the most common methods used to treat Dupuytren's disease, the development of non-surgical products has increased the feasibility of office-based non-surgical management of the condition. Historically, physicians used a variety of non-surgical therapies to treat the condition, such as physical therapy, corticosteroid injections, dimethyl sulfoxide injections, vitamin E, and radiation. However, most of these therapies did not provide optimal results. In a 2016 systematic literature review of studies related to the effectiveness of treating Dupuytren's disease with physical therapy, pharmacological treatment, or radiotherapy, authors noted that the available evidence is weak and biased, which makes the reported outcomes difficult to interpret. In 2010, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved collagenase clostridium histolyticum, CCH, an injectable mixture of class I and class II bacterial collagenase enzymes, for the treatment of adult patients with a diagnosis of Dupuytren's contracture involving a palpable cord. See Figure 5. Healthcare professionals can inject CCH in an office setting, which provides a benefit for patients because they do not need to undergo an open or minimally invasive surgical procedure with an anesthetic. Prescribing information indicates the professional should inject no more than two cords per visit and the patient may require a finger extension procedure one to three days after the injection if the contracture does not resolve. In addition, personnel can perform injections and finger extensions at intervals of approximately one month and up to three times per cord. Healthcare personnel should be prepared to address injection reactions, including anaphylaxis. When a patient returns for a finger extension procedure, that is manipulation, the healthcare professional may inject a local anesthetic for patient comfort. Skin tears commonly occur after manipulation and are self-limiting. Rare complications after manipulation include flexor tendon rupture, which can require surgical reconstruction. The healthcare professional should provide patients with information and counseling that includes potential side effects and adverse reactions such as tendon and ligament damage, nerve injury, allergic reaction, swelling of the affected hand, injection site reaction or hemorrhage, pain, and skin contusion. After the CCH injection, the healthcare professional should advise the patient to avoid flexing or extending the fingers of the affected hand or self-manipulating the injected cord. Patients should elevate the affected hand until bedtime, and promptly contact the healthcare professional and return to the office for follow-up if they experience symptoms of infection, sensory changes in the treated finger, or difficulty bending the finger when allowed to do so. Patients also should contact their healthcare professional if they experience increased pain after the injection, so that the professional can recommend or prescribe an appropriate analgesic for the pain. The cost of CCH and the associated insurance coverage may present an obstacle to increased use of this medication.
Treatment Considerations Healthcare professionals should use the best available evidence on treatment methodologies and outcomes to support patient care. Although a surgical procedure, for example, limited fasciectomy, may be effective, non-surgical options, for example, percutaneous needle fasciotomy, CCH injection, may be a better choice if the patient is medically fragile and not able to undergo a surgical procedure. If the patient requires a surgical procedure, the anesthesia professional should choose an appropriate anesthetic for the patient's condition. For example, local anesthesia with epinephrine. There are no clear research results that compare treatment options related to cost and recurrence. However, cost may affect a patient's treatment decision. Also, the outcomes of some surgical options, such as limited fasciectomy, have not been clearly defined because of inconsistencies in data and outcomes reporting. In 2017, experts agreed to define Dupuytren's disease recurrence after treatment as, quote, an increase in joint contracture in any treated joint of at least 20 degrees at one year post-treatment compared to six weeks post-treatment, end quote. Results of a 2020 cohort study of 121,488 patients in England showed that reoperation rates were lower than the researchers expected. That is, 33.7% for needle aponeurotomy, 19.5% for limited fasciectomy, and 18.2% for dermofasciectomy. The results of this study also showed a low 90-day cumulative rate, that is, 1.2%, 95% CI equals 1.1 to 1.2, of serious local complications, such as surgical side infection requiring debridement, neurovascular and tendon injury requiring repair and amputation, for all of the procedures. However, the amputation rate when surgeons reoperated using limited fasciectomy after dermofasciectomy was extremely high. 8%, 95% CI equals 4.8 to 13.3. Although serious systematic complications, for example, myocardial infarction, pulmonary embolism, were rare, the researchers concluded that high-risk patients, for example, those with multiple comorbidities, could undergo procedures with local anesthesia to avoid such complications. In a study on the efficacy of CCH before the medication received U.S. Food and Drug Administration approval, researchers found that it was more effective than a placebo. P is less than or equal to 0.002. However, most patients in the treatment group experienced an adverse event. Researchers injected 308 patients with either CCH or a placebo and compared the number of adverse events. For example, contusion, injection site edema, pain, or arrhythmia, occurring after each injection. They found that patients experienced at least one adverse event after 429, 96.6%, of the 444 CCH injections, compared to 63, 21.2%, of the 297 placebo injections. In 2018, results of a small study comparing CCH to needle aponeurotomy showed similar three-year recurrence rates. That is, 33% for CCH, 42% for needle aponeurotomy.
non-surgical and minimally invasive treatment options, for example, CCH injection, needle aponeurotomy, can be viable options for patients who are too ill to undergo an anesthetic and the lengthy recovery of an open surgical procedure, for example, limited fasciectomy. Ultimately, patients will most likely choose an insurance-covered option. Perioperative nurses should remember that there is no cure for Dupuytren's disease and that recurrence rates may vary based on the treatment modality. Therefore, healthcare professionals should use available evidence to help patients decide on a treatment option that meets their needs. Nursing Considerations Perioperative nurses play a vital role in the perioperative management of patients undergoing surgery for Dupuytren's disease. Throughout the perioperative period, nurses provide education for patients and their families and provide safe patient care with a goal of preventing adverse outcomes. Preoperatively, nurses should help patients identify high-quality print and online sources of information on the disease process. Results of a qualitative study on patient experiences related to Dupuytren's disease showed that patients lacked information on the disease, possible treatment options, procedural expectations, and outcomes. Therefore, patients would most likely benefit from education on the disease process during all perioperative phases. Such teaching may help the patient develop a more trusting relationship with a perioperative nurse. Advanced practice nurses, APNs, can discuss treatment options in easily understandable terminology with patients and their family members to help them make informed decisions. Perioperative nurses and APNs can answer questions to help the patient and their family members identify individual needs and questions that the surgeon should answer. Perioperative nurses should review the preoperative history and physical to understand patient-specific data and determine the best plan for intraoperative care. The history and physical provides information, for example, allergies, physical concerns, previous surgeries, complications, that may affect how the perioperative team members prepare for the procedure before they bring the patient to the OR. The perioperative nurse uses preoperative data to plan to meet the patient's needs. Actions may include 1. Ensuring preoperative radiographs are available. 2. Obtaining required instruments, for example, handset power tools. 3. Providing needed equipment, for example, tourniquet machine, positioning aids, and 4. Obtaining needed supplies, for example, suture, graft material when indicated, dressing and splint material. Based on the surgeon's preferences, the nurse should plan for positioning on a hand table or double arm board and using a tourniquet. Effective preoperative planning should help the perioperative team to have all the required instruments, equipment, and supplies for the procedure and provide a safe patient care environment. Perioperative nurses should use current evidence, practice guidelines, and surgeon preferences to provide high-quality and individualized patient care. They should participate in patient care handovers, the preoperative briefing, and the timeout, and effectively communicate information on any care needs or concerns that may affect safe patient care. During the procedure, perioperative nurses should update the patient's family members on his or her condition according to facility processes. Postoperatively, 
nurses continue implementation of the patient's care plan with the goal of seamless care until discharge, for example, to an inpatient nursing unit, home. Nursing considerations during the post-operative period include pain management, limb elevation, and comfort. When providing post-operative instructions, it may be helpful for the nurse to identify a contact person from the perioperative team to answer patient or family member questions and provide support during the post-operative period. When the patient returns to the surgeon's office for the post-operative visit, assessment of hand function is vital, and the surgeon should prescribe hand therapy to maintain function. The APN or surgeon's office nurse may work closely with a certified hand therapist to meet the patient's needs related to range of motion exercises and splinting. In addition, the healthcare professionals may review daily dressing changes and provide close follow-up to help reassure the patient during the post-operative phase. When patients undergo CCH injection in a minor procedure room or office, the nurse and surgeon should be mindful of the possible adverse reactions and complications and manage these if they occur. After the injection, the healthcare professional should wrap the patient's hand in a bulky soft gauze dressing and instruct the patient to limit motion in the affected hand. The patient should return to the office 24 to 72 hours after the procedure for an assessment of the affected hand and a manipulation procedure if indicated. During a post-injection manipulation, patients may experience a skin tear that will be allowed to heal via secondary intention. They also may develop a serious complication, such as a tendon rupture requiring surgical repair. During the first week after surgery, if the patient's condition permits, the healthcare professionals should consult with a certified hand therapist for bracing and range of motion exercise. Nurses should be present during the provision of treatment to support the patient and his or her family members and ensure timely management of any negative outcomes. Regardless of the type of Dupuytren's disease treatment, that is, surgical or non-surgical, a patient undergoes, nurses may need to provide ongoing education for several months to ensure patients maintain hand function after treatment. Conclusion Dupuytren's disease is a fibroproliferative disorder of unknown etiology that prevents patients from flexing affected digits. Patients may undergo surgical treatment, for example, limited fasciectomy, or non-surgical treatment, CCH injection, aponeurotomy, to mitigate symptoms. However, the disease is incurable and therefore may recur. Additional research examining the current definition of recurrence and comparing treatment options based on cost is recommended. When patients are unable to undergo an open procedure because of health status, non-surgical options may be the best choice because these do not require an open incision or general anesthesia. Healthcare professionals should collaborate with patients to determine the most effective treatment for each patient based on individual health factors and insurance coverage. Perioperative nurses may provide patient and family member education and support during all phases of the Dupuytren's disease treatment, including when the patient is participating in post-treatment hand therapy.